I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I know a bank where the wild time blows, where oxlips and the nodding violet grows quite over canopied with luscious woodbine, with sweet musk roses and with eglantine. Shakespeare, Midsummer Night's Dream. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode 106, and we're celebrating the summer solstice. But first, I need to thank my patrons who help to keep this show independent. I have amazing patrons. Thank you to Elizabeth, Kathy, Cynthia, Jurgen, also Janine, Sarah, Megan, Lady Anne, Jessica, Olivia, Al, Ashley, Kendra, Cynthia, Judith, Melissa, Catherine, Katie, Berta, Renee, Mara, Emily, Selene, Laura, Ian, Barbara, Shar, Kiva, Amy, Allison, Joanne, Kathy, Christine, Annetta, Candice, John, Susan, Andrea, Catherine, Rebecca from Tudor's Dynasty, Shandor, and Philip. Thank you, you guys. If you want to be part of this group of very intelligent people and receive a virtual hug from me, please go to patreon.com slash englandcast to sign up. Another note, the Agora podcast of the month is Travis and Pete from the Podcastnik group of shows. They do some really great shows, including the history of alchemy, and where they talk about John Dee a lot, Elizabeth's alchemist, and also the history of Germany, among others. So check them out at podcastnik.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-N-I-K, podcastnik.com. One final thing, if you like treats, and who doesn't, really, I mean really, I invite you to check out the Treasures from Bass subscription box that I've recently launched. It's a monthly box filled with Tudor treat-like books, jewelry, and special spa-like items, all inspired by Tudor history. $39.99 a month, and that includes free shipping in the continental U.S. Check out treasuresfrombass.com for more information, to see sample boxes, and to learn more. One final thing, I'm going on tour, you guys. I'm doing a live show with Melita from Tudor Times. We're going to be at the Tudor and 17th Century Experience home in Hertfordshire on July the 29th. 
It's going to be at 3.30 p.m. Entrance starts at 2.30 with a tour of the Tudor Gardens. And then we're going to record an episode on Mary Tudor, on Mary the First. Melita has a book out on Mary the First. So we're going to record that episode live, taking live questions, everything like that. So if you would like to come and see a recording of the show and be part of that, I would love to have you come. Just go to englandcast.com to learn more. Oh, and it's free. It's totally free. So, you know, you just have to get there. So now as I record this, it is June the 20th, summer solstice, the longest day of the year if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, the shortest if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. Today, the sun reaches its most Northern point in the sky, rising high in the Northeast, setting in the most Northwest spot. Many countries have 24 hours of daylight. And obviously that's the opposite if you're in Australia and you're having very short days. But we're going to talk about the Northern Hemisphere because that's where Tudor England is. So the word solstice actually comes from the Latin sol for sun and sistere for standing still. People all the way back to ancient times celebrated this day in varied ways. In early Britain, people made circles like Stonehenge. The Stonehenge that we see today is aligned on the midwinter setting sun and the midsummer sunrise. So there's always festivals at Stonehenge on midsummer and midwinter. It's a really beautiful time to be there. As we know, the seasons ruled everything for our tutors. In an age when the cyclical nature of the seasons dictated every aspect of life, celebrating the summer solstice was an important part of the year. It was a time when the seeds had been sown, the harvest was growing. From now on, we look forward to the shorter days, to the harvest, and eventually to Yule, the winter solstice, when the whole thing begins again. But how did the tutors celebrate this period? Celebrating Midsummer was an important part of pagan worship. One of the smartest things the Christians did early on, whether you agree with it or not, you can't argue that it wasn't clever, was to take pagan holidays and appropriate them for themselves. They often even kept the original name, such as in the case of Easter, which comes from the Germanic goddess Ostara, who was the fertility goddess celebrated at the spring equinox. But let's move on to summer. The early Christians had named June the 24th as the feast day for St. John the Baptist. So by the time of the Tudors, there was this mix of pagan and Christian celebrations going on, and and it lasted for several days. The thing was, though, that throughout the 16th century, as the Protestant Reformation took hold, people began to see these festivals as papists and began to end them. But Midsummer was just one of the many summertime festivals. It started with Corpus Christi, which took place on the Thursday after the eighth Sunday after Easter. There were processions with people coming to see who could create the best floats and and processions. There were competitions between towns. The Pope had proclaimed Corpus Christi as an official church celebration in 1317 in order to remind Christians of the holy nature of the Eucharist. But that proclamation meant that the holiday would not survive the Reformation. Still, while it was allowed, the procession was a chance for different parishes to show off their civic pride. In York, the host, which was silver and crystal, was actually carried under a tent to protect it from the rain. In Coventry, they made crosses and banners to carry. The banners were made of silk and velvet embroidered with golden thread. In London, the Skinner's Company was the largest procession with over 200 clergy. During the 16th century, there were also plays to celebrate Corpus Christi on themes from the Bible. In some places, they might have just one play, but in others, like Coventry, there was an entire cycle of plays. The York cycle had 52 plays. It would have taken over 21 hours for all of them to have been performed. 
But these plays, like the festival itself, were abolished by the 1570s. After Corpus Christi came Midsummer, which is what we're celebrating today. The Christians had made it the Feast of St. John the Baptist, but the main festivities were pagan in their history. It was a time for bonfires, especially. Some have speculated that the bonfires were seen as medicinal, cleaning the air from plague. People would actually make the bonfire so that the wind would blow the smoke over the crops. It was seen as making it healthier. People did know that disease could be airborne. Of course, they didn't know about germs. They thought it was bad air. So having smoke to purify the air was something that was important. John Stowe's Survey of London talks about the bonfires. Now, John Stowe was writing right towards the end of this period, and so they'd already been abolished as being papists. But he writes, looking back on it with a sense of nostalgia. He wrote, in the months of June and July, on the vigils of the festival days, and on the same festival days in the evenings after sunsetting, there were usually made bonfires in the streets, every man bestowing wood or labor towards them. The wealthier sort also, before their doors near to the said bonfires, would set out tables for the vigils, furnished with sweet bread and good drinks, and on the festival days with meat and drinks plentiful, whereunto they would invite their neighbors and passengers to sit and be merry with them in great familiarity. The word bonfire actually comes from the other activity that people would participate in. That was throwing old bones onto the fire for good luck. They believed it could ward off evil and scare off dragons. One 15th century monk was actually against throwing the bones into the bonfire, saying it made it stink. Bonfire literally means fire with bones added as fuel. It's an old English word. Many people believed that the flames would lure the sun to stay in the sky longer, so it would prolong summer. John Stowe also has an explanation for the word bonfire. He says that bon comes from Latin, from bonus. And he says these were called bonefires, as well of amity amongst neighbors, that being before at controversy, were thereby the labor of others reconciled and made of bitter enemies loving friends. In some towns in the 16th century, they also marked Midsummer by marching watches. In London, about 4,000 people took part with Morris dancers and pageants. People on stilts and hobby horses would be part of these processions as well. Hobby horses originated in the Middle Ages for jousting practice, and by the 16th century, they were thought to bring good luck to a festival. In 1521, the procession included a pageant on Pluto with a huge serpent that would spit out fireballs into the crowd. These marches were not seen as religious themselves, but they would sometimes include religious themes. But even more than the religious themes, you could see the pagan in them. Like I said, the one had the pageant on Pluto. There were others, like in 1521, the Lord Mayor's Guild in London had five pageants, the Castle of War, the Story of Jesse, St. John the Evangelist, St. George, and Pluto. There were also naked boys dyed black to represent devils. Dragons and firework displays made the processions even more noisy. You can just imagine how loud they would have been. In 1541, the Draper's Guild procession included a dragon burned in aquavita. That was unrefined alcohol. Usually they were referring to brandy or whiskey. So they actually have a dragon that's burning during this procession. That has to be a fire hazard. Since they weren't meant to be religious, they could have continued on their own throughout the century, but the authorities began to become suspicious of them. Of course, riots could break out easily. With all of the political strife going on, people were worried about things escalating. 
1539, Henry VIII banned the London Midsummer Watch, saying he wanted to save money. In 1548, the Lord Protector Somerset brought it back. He had just banned the Corpus Christi celebrations, so he brought back Midsummer the Watch to help compensate for that. In other cities, they did continue with these marching processions, but by the mid-17th century, they had died out. As Stowe said, fire was a big part of the Midsummer celebrations. One of the most popular things was to have a fire wheel. A wheel from a cart would be packed with straw, lit, and then some lucky soul would roll it down the hill. If it made it the whole way down the hill and not being extinguished, it would foretell a good harvest. Now this was clearly a pagan celebration. In pagan times, the wheel was seen as a symbol of the sun. While Henry VIII had tried to have some of these celebrations stopped, Elizabeth was a fan of the summer ones. She actually tried to have the Lord Mayor of London revive the Midsummer Watch, but the city made excuses, and it's likely that the event was really expensive and difficult to organize, plus there was the aforementioned fire hazard, so no one involved in it really missed it that much except the people who enjoyed it. Besides marching and setting things on fire, people also decorated their homes with flowers. Now, this was a really important thing as well. Fire was seen to represent the sun, and the flowers symbolized the earth and and fertility in the harvest. So you would decorate your home with circular wreaths. The circle symbolized the cyclical nature of the seasons. The flowers would tend to be in colors that represented the sun, things like yellow or orange or red. John Stowe, he remembered green birch being hung on all of the local signposts, and he wrote, Every man's door being shadowed with green birch, long fennel, St. John's wort, white lilies, and such like garnished upon with garlands of beautiful flowers. These plants had powers associated with their religious symbolism. For example, the protective plant trefoil. Its three-part leaves symbolized the Holy Trinity. And those white lilies that Stowe wrote about derived their power from their association with the Virgin Mary, and they're actually still called Madonna lilies. St. John's wort was really important since it was the festival of St. John, and it was believed to have magical powers. Its leaves had red sprinkles symbolizing the blood of St. John, who was martyred. At midsummer, you would make wreaths of St. John's wort and put them on the horns of cattle and on the pens and sheds where you kept your animals. Fern spores collected at midsummer were believed to give miraculous power and could even make you invisible. Also, any herb you collected at midsummer was believed to be extra potent. The sun was at its height and it was the best time to collect these herbs. It was a really popular time to make medicines and potions. There's also, of course, the aspect of magic with midsummer. People believed that the witches and fairies were overly active at this time. That's why they began their celebrations on the sunset prior to the day itself. Like John Stowe talked about the bonfires beginning at sunset the day before. The hours between dusk and dawn are closer to the underworld. This is a time when magical activity is at its peak. People believed that this was when witches harvested their plants. And if you read William Shakespeare in A Midsummer Night's Dream, you'll see how people believed this magical activity was heightened at this time. Of course, if you've read Midsummer Night's Dream, you'll know who Puck is. He's the oldest of old things due to his depiction in folklore. Puka was the term used on the British Isles for the pagan sun deity. He was also known as the Stag King. The puka was a respected but very vengeful fairy creature. Puka evolved into this medieval term for evil or for the devil, but he wasn't completely evil. He also had this kind of mischievous side in English folklore. He was known as Robin Goodfellow. If you got lost sometimes, you would say that Robin Goodfellow has been with you tonight. 
And references to this quote are recorded in Tudor manuscripts as early as 1531. And Shakespeare even introduces Puck as Robin in Act 2, Scene 1 of Midsummer Night's Dream. Hunter S. Jones writes, Midsummer Eve was seen as the most advantageous time of the year for enchantments, since the sun and the plants were at the height of their power. Enchantments to reveal who your new lover would be were wildly popular, and lovers looked for ways to spend this magical night in each other's arms. Jones continues, divinations for love, prosperity, and health were practiced throughout the island. But for some people, the importance of Midsummer wasn't just about magic. It was about the community and doing good and the Christian side of the holiday. People saw this as a chance to give Christian charity and for neighbors to make amends, as in John Stowe talking about making up over the bonfire. It was a holiday celebrated kind of like we would celebrate New Year's Eve, a time for fulfillment of wishes and the beginning of new dreams. Wealthy people would provide cakes and tubs of ale for their local poor in their town or village, and they would feast their friends and their poor neighbors, as one wealthy man did in Long Melford and Suffolk. Sometimes money was left as a bequest solely for this purpose. So it was a chance for charity, for socializing, and for neighbors who had been fighting to make up. So I invite you during this midsummer to take part in your own revelry, to make up with anybody you've been fighting with, and to make a bonfire if you can, and sow some new dreams in your proverbial garden. I'm going to leave it there this week. The book recommendations, there's two, Pleasures and Pastimes in Tudor England by Alison Sim. There's also The Stations of the Sun, A History of the Ritual Year in Britain by Ronald Hutt. So there are links on the website at englandcast.com. You can get in touch with me through the listener support line at 8016-TESCO or through Twitter at Tesco, that's T-E-Y-S-K-O, or facebook.com slash englandcast. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. I'll be back in about two weeks with another Tudor Times Person of the Month. And don't forget to check out treasuresfrombest.com for your tutor treat fix. And think about coming to our live show on the 29th of July if you can make it. We will talk to you again soon. (laughs) Have a great midsummer. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. 
Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.